Welcome to the Red Dove Podcast. We are women storytellers and our stories center on Black women, feminism, and activism. I'm Rainy. I'm Blue. And I'm Liz. And tonight, if you couldn't tell by the opening music, it's a special. We're going to talk about Stranger Things 4 with our podcast friend, Charmonique, from the Catch These Vibes podcast. Charmonique, hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much uh, for having me, everyone. Again, I'm Charmonique, and uh, my podcast is Catch These Vibes. Um, I, I love listening to the Red Dove podcast, so I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Catch These Vibes comes out with a new episode every Tuesday, and Charmonique discusses some of the things she loves, experiences, and watches. Also, Charmonique has, she put out the NMC, the Nicki Minaj Corner, which are like, I call them like mini episodes that you've developed out of Catch These Vibes, which we're really enjoying, big fans of Nikki here as well. So thank you again. And you can find Catch These Vibes anywhere you listen to podcasts. So for this episode, the four of us took this assignment very seriously and sat down and watched Stranger Things 4. So right off the bat, spoiler alert. We're talking about this, hopefully, from start to finish. So you are, if you haven't watched this or if you care about things not being spoiled for you, turn off this episode. We'll see you later. For those of you not familiar with Stranger Things, just really quickly, it's a show premised in the 1980s in Indiana. It's a majority white cast featuring relative unknown young actors and actresses but for Red Dove favorite Winona Ryder as the role of Joyce. So let's get right into it. So Stranger Things 4 opens up. We're in Hawkins, and we still don't know if Hopper is alive or dead, if you watch the third season at this moment. And for the first time ever, the children are kind of like they're half and half. Half of them are in Hawkins, half of them are in uh, California. Those that are in Hawkins is uh, Sinclair, Louis Sinclair, uh, Michael Wheeler, Dustin Henderson. L is in California. No, wait. Yeah. Isn't, Mike, is- in, isn't Mike in California? Is Mike in no. California? No. No, he goes oh. to visit. Oh, he visits. That's right. That's right. Well, he, the character, the actors of Mike and Will also look so similar. I like always interchange them. So I think, so L is living with Joyce and Will, and what is Will's brothers? Jonathan. Yeah, yep. Jonathan. So mm-hmm. if you guys remember, fans remember, Joyce had put her house on the market at the in somewhat in season three. So I guess it's like a bit of a time jump and boom. Now Joyce is living in California with Will, Jonathan, and Elle has come to live with them because at this point, everyone thinks Hopper is dead. Poor Elle. I love Elle, but I just think it's like, it's interesting how, you know, they she's learned so much over this time and then will what do you think about their relationship will's gay right i mean mike 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 oh mike when he went through i'm gonna say puberty he now looks like a bird character like physically it was very alarming for me when i saw him because i what is this oh it's a person like it's just this very like bizarre off-putting look and I think they emphasize, they play into it with this haircut choices and the clothes that they put on. I think he's repulsive looking, but Elle's like head over heels with him. I mean, I'm going to say this. 
it was definitely not the best gen- um, decade for him. But Lewis, I mean Lucas, Luke is it's Lucas, right? Not Lucas. Yeah, Lucas. Yeah, Lucas. I was like, okay, Lucas, look at you with your gold muscles. He, and all he, that when the um, season four started, like he had a glow up. He did. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, this is a. I'm like the. It's the '80s now for them. Like this is doing. This is going good for them. Lucas is one of the. Um, of the crew that remains in Hawkins and so is Dustin is there with Lucas and Mike Wheeler however mm-hmm. this is the first season we're opening up where the gang's not all playing Dungeons and Dragons Lucas has leveled up and now he's on the badass basketball team but he's still friends with his um his old friends but he has made some new friends i.e the basketball team you know, it kind of reminded me of my dad. Um, my dad was the black kid who played Dungeons and Dragons in the 80s in high school and was also an athlete, too. So I was like, oh, well, it just it felt very nostalgic and familiar to me because that was my dad. He was on the football team and he was winning games for his team. But then he had his group of you know white friends that he would go and play Dungeons and Dragons with at one of their houses afterwards you know and my dad was pretty good at juggling both of those types of um both of those different sides of his character so I was interested to see how Lucas did that as well because it it can be difficult especially you know looking at he's a young black boy in Indiana you know like he's in mostly white spaces and that's that's difficult especially in the 80s you know kind of who you are and your identity as a black person. And as we know, Dungeons and Dragons wasn't really considered a black game or a black person's game. And now we know we all play, right? Like I play Dungeons and Dragons. We see it everywhere, but 30 years ago, that wasn't the norm. So I was kind of interested in watching that development. Yeah. Same for me. Cause you could tell that he was really struggling with being, I guess the, a nerd, the nerdy boy. And so he, like we say, he had his glow up and now he's like, he wants to play basketball. He's tired of being bullied. He wants to get girls and all that. So I, I think it was really interesting to see like that transition from, you know, being with the, the boys, being with Dustin and Mike and everyone. And then now he's, now we're seeing him with this basketball team. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting. I wanted to, I really wanted to know like where they were going to take it. Like if he was going to like, be separated from the boys the whole time or you know what was going to happen so I thought that was interesting yeah when I was looking at it I'm like I think we all oftentimes feel like that like even how you started is you're like it's a mostly white cast and it's like when I look at that I'm like like even I was forcing someone to um binge watch with me the other day because they were braiding my hair so I was like that's what I want to watch <laughs> But she was very much like, you know, this is like she did say she was going to go back and watch it to see what all the hype was about. You know, initially it is like that. Like there's no not a lot of there's no really not many black people on the show. But then I had to think to myself, like even with the elementary schools that I went to, that's exactly how it looked, you know, and that's just what it was. And that's also very much like I think sometimes. It's frustrating, but it's an accurate depiction, you know, for a lot of people who grew up 
in a situation where they are one of only like we haven't met anybody Asian yet you know so it's just the the times in America and in that region I was happy to see that they've expanded Erica's character Erica's Lucas's little sister yeah but let's talk about Erica okay so first of all Erica is a ball of fire and I really like Erica however the character that they have created for her there is no one around her that depicts that same type of like because I've been debating about this right like and we as whenever they cast black characters and especially when they want them to be the not the the partner it's like another term it's like the sidekick right it's all of a sudden we get into this like you know um out for the lack of a better word we mammify the role you know what i'm saying and it's like because erica's mom is nothing like that you know what i'm saying so when erica first when we first started seeing her personality come out erica was like if my parents no, my mom knows that I'm out. Da, 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 da. And she was like, and Tina, she always covers for me. And it, but it's like, what would she be covering for you for? Like, you're a little kid, you know? So to me, it's like the way they're positioning her role. Like, I like her personality because we do know people like that. But creating that personality is like, what, why are you trying to fit us into this once again, you know? Cause she's the main one that be cursing and doing all time. And it's like, why does the black little girl have to be the one? They're the ones that have been running away from monsters all this time for years of their life. They should be the ones like shit. <laughs> they got the little girl coming off strong. Like she's, I mean, she's, I'm glad that they did make her a math nerd. You know, I like that part, but I'm just not completely in agreement with the attitude and the personality that they gave her because we are always often cast as being, you know, like even he told her like, well, if you have that type of attitude, then da, 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 you know what I'm saying? It's not like, well, okay, these are your contributions. That's not how it's perceived. It's still responded to as, oh, here we go with the angry, angry black chick. And she's a baby. You know, mm -hmm. that's not fair to me. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I was having, I was kind of struggling with her attitude as well. Cause it's like, you, you root for her cause she's the little black girl and then she's really smart. So you like, you like this character, but at the same time, I think they did a little bit too much on her attitude. Like they, I, it's like, we haven't really saw a soft side of her. I guess this in this later on in this season, we get to see it a little bit, but um, yeah, that was something that I was kind of struggling with, too. But I love Erica. She's definitely a firecracker and she's smart. I'm glad that they, you know, I think what was it? The last season we really got to see her like when her and Dustin teamed up. Um, I'm glad that we got to see her in that light and being able to like figure things out and be the one saying, aha, you know, this is how we're going to get out of the situation. So I really love that. But yeah, I definitely uh, get what you're saying as far as her attitude and the angry back black woman thing, they definitely kind of kind of did that to her. But at the same time, you know, we still like her. You still root for her. But yeah, I, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I like the word that you said or the phrase that you said, we haven't seen her soft side. 
you know? And I think for like myself, I've always been deemed, you're strong, you're strong, you're strong. And it's a combination word, right? It's pretty multifaceted, but we as black women are also, like my girlfriend says, we're delicate flowers. So we also deserve to uh, show that delicacy and that softness, which is an excellent word, you know, gentleness, being able to soothe during those times, you know, whatever, we deserve to see ourselves in that space too. Like (laughs) from a social justice standpoint, there's actually a couple articles that I've read on that. And this is actually a phenomenon that we see in media a lot. You know, it's called the adultification of black girls. It's, you know, there's this thought that black girls don't need as much nurturing. They are harder. They're stronger. They are not delicate flowers. So, you know, they're portrayed as these strong individuals, these sassy individuals, because that is how society views black women as this kind of monolithic character, you know, like, like you said, that type of mammy character, that type of, you know, quick witted, sassy, you know, I'm going to put, bust my foot up your, you know, very harsh because, you know, we as a society look at black girls in particular as needing less comfort, needing less softness from the world around them because they are so hard. They're hard like rocks. And it's a huge misconception. And and we see it actually in schools a lot where young black girls are thought to be a lot older than they actually are. And they're not given the same softness, the same kindness, the same nurturing, because society doesn't think that they need that nurturing. And I kind of think case in point is Erica. When I first saw her step into the scene, I thought the same thing. I was like, why is she why is she talking like that? Which there's nothing wrong with talking like that. You know, listeners don't think that, you know, there's anything wrong with that. There's no right way to talk like a black person. There's no wrong way to talk like a black person, but it didn't fit in for where she came from. No one, like, like you mentioned, no one in her life speaks like that. No one in her life hides, behaves like that. Yes. I'm sorry, Rainy, to cut you off, but you're so right because the other, it would be different too if they were demonstrating the other girls demonstrating more of, I mean, Max was pretty badass, you know, right. but she wasn't, it's, it's just, we know it when we feel it, you know. The other girls that hung out with Erica in season three when they went to the ice cream parlor were her age, were African-American, but they didn't speak like Erica. Like, Max is harder because Max is, like, a couple... She's dating Erica's brother. But, like, Erica's direct one-to-one counterparts didn't speak like that either. That's a good point. Go ahead, Randy. Oh, I'm sorry. It's almost like they're, like, look at... Let let, let us show you. You know, we we have Black characters. We have real Black characters. And you're like, ah, you know, you can just have Black people who just run around and play Dungeons & Dragons and... It, that that's also another facet of black people. We are multifaceted. You don't have to pigeonhole us into no, no, no. We need that sassy black character. You can still have a strong black female lead without that. And with that, but it, it like you said, you, you mentioned, you know, it, it, it feels very forced, right? Like if it had come naturally, like that's where her family is from, you know, if she came from a population where she was surrounded by a lot of black people who also spoke like that, or, you know, in a, an environment like that, that makes sense. Absolutely. Don't, don't, don't whitewash her. Don't, don't take that away from her, but don't create a character to check off some sort of box because it just, you know, again, it kind of shows that you don't 
understand black culture and that it is very diverse and we come in so many different shades and so many different flavors and it's not a one size fits all. So I I do love Erica's character. I love her feistiness. Again, I do love that they made her a math nerd. I love that, you know, the women in STEM and women in in math, we need more of that, but yeah, yeah, the delivery, I think, I, I feel like they needed more black people in that idea room. But it's interesting how people paint pictures. Sinclair, Dustin, and Mike Wheeler are still in high school. Max is with them. And for no explanation whatsoever, she is giving Lucas the cold shoulder pretty much to the last episode. Just right right off the bat, I thought that was weird. Like, we had no, like, explanation as to why she was giving Lucas the cold shoulder. And then it, like, kind of comes out. Like, oh, I'm having these bad dreams about Billy's death, which then leads to like the Hawkins sub story for the rest of the season, which is kids or young people in Hawkins are dying in these horrific ways and no one knows why. And then it so it's like basically they get thrown up to the ceiling, their hands and feet get twisted like 180 degrees. And I think like their eyes pop out. It's very gross. Yeah. <laughs> very uh, Freddy Krueger-y, I would say. Yes. Definitely um, Nightmare on Elm Street influence. I think people said this one, this season was like a little bit more scarier than the other ones. So definitely more creepier with them, with their bodies doing all that, breaking limbs and everything. Yeah. Right. You heard the snap when their hands twisted. And the first victim is Chrissy, who's like the stereotypical 1980s white girl cheerleader. Uh, She dates one of Lucas's friends on the basketball team, who is like the star basketball player. I forget his name. But she links, she's having problems. She's throwing up in the bathroom. Max goes into the bathroom and sees Chrissy throwing up and doesn't really know why. Then again, no explanation. Chrissy links up with a, like, he looks like an extra from a heavy metal hair rock band. And his name is Eddie. And he's a new character for the season. And Eddie sells um, drugs on the side. And that's how like Eddie and the perfect cheerleader get together one night in Eddie's house. Eddie is like the leader, quote unquote, of a dungeon. Is it a dungeon? Well, they play Dungeons and Dragons together, but they're like a group and they call themselves the Hellfire Club. And that's where like Dustin and Mike are part of the Hellfire Club. Eddie looks like he was left back a couple times. Like he clearly looks like he's like, like Nancy Wheeler's age or Jonathan's age. Like he looks significant, but he's in high school with them. Um, Fun nerd fact, the Hellfire Club is a reference to, I think it's Marvel. I want to say it's, is it X-Men? There's like a Hellfire Club reference from X-Men, I think. There's some Marvel. I don't know. You can email me. Correct me if I'm wrong. But anyway, Chrissy tries to buy drugs. It was like funny. Again, no explanation. Again, she didn't go in for weed. She went in for like the hardcore hallucinogenics. And then when Eddie's- I'm about right with your cousins. Sorry, no. (laughs) JJ. 
there's a lot of mystery, right? Like you don't know why she's, I thought she was pregnant. Like you don't really know what's going on, but you see these characters who aren't friends or don't even talk to each other in high school. Now they're getting together and she's buying drugs and they just, the way they introduce you to Chrissy, they're trying to like clearly say like, this isn't somebody that, that does drugs, not even drinks. Like that's kind of, so it's like, why is she, with Eddie and Eddie's trying to get her drugs and she wants like she wants like ketamine she, she went like hardcore quick like she wants something he's like I don't know where it is let me go get it he's in the back trying to find this shit he comes back out Chrissy her eyes look like clouds are in front of them she's staring up at the ceiling he's like Chrissy Chrissy like trying to wake her up trying to wake her up doesn't work all of a sudden she's jettisoned to the ceiling it kind of yeah it's like a haunting or a ghost or like yeah, possessing. Yeah, right? It was just like, it seemed like something else was taking over her body. You have no idea why. And her her limbs are twisted around, blood shoots out of her eyes, and then she just drops down. Yeah. This is like, what is going on? <laughs> I think that the, one of the interesting things about Stranger Things is it it has been doing that. You've kind of seen that progression. Like the first season was, it, it was it was kind of freaky, but, you know, it, it has it has grown and developed as the, as the children have grown and developed, um, which I, I think it, it makes it feel more fearful because we've invested so much time into these kids and we're like, oh, the stakes are getting much higher now, you know, and, and the scariness of children not being safe. And I, I think that that is something that is horrifying to any adult, right? Like, you know, things happening to adults all the time. You're like, ah, but something about children not being safe. That is like the scariest thing of all, you know, and that fear that parents must have in this whole setup. Like, how do we save our children? And also this fear from this children themselves, like our parents can't save us. The adults don't know what's happening. I think that 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 adds to a level of scariness of the authority figures can't help anymore. And the most vulnerable of us are the ones that are getting picked off. Like, I, I find that terrifying. And, and, and we have seen kind of that transition. I remember watching season three and I was like, this is so gory. It it was the goriest of this. I was like, Oh my gosh, that is so gross. (laughs) You know? Um, but I I also don't think it's out of line. I, I think that they do a good job with it, with that kind of progression and the progression and the character development of the, of the kids themselves too, as they get older, things get worse. And again, the stakes are much higher now. That's a really good point. Oh, go ahead, Charmonique. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, that I think that is really scary because especially like when you think about no one can really, no one knows what's going on or why these people are, why these kids are getting hurt. And then the fact that, you know, Eddie gets blamed for it. Like, that's just, it's just really scary to think about, you know, something like this to be happening. And then someone who witnessed it and what just happened to be there, he gets accused of it. And now all of a sudden everyone's, you know, thinking that the hellfire club is like some satanic cult or something. So I like, they, they definitely delve into that aspect because I think around that time, the satanic panic was going on. So, um, they, I see that they definitely put that into like the storyline because the things that was happening, um, 
they didn't know why it was happening. The only thing that they can do is say, oh, these are some devil worshipers. And really, there's something else going on. So I think that part was really scary. I watched um, this show. Was it a show or like it was like an after school special about Dungeons and Dragons that was put on during that time? I, I got to remember what the name was, but it was like reefer madness of the 50s. Like it was just so over the top, like these kids were playing and then like they're possessed and it was put on by like this religious group. And, and that's really what started that satanic panic was just, everyone's like, they're, 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 they're killing each other and they're sacrificing cats. And it, it just got ridiculous. And my dad remembers telling me like he had to hide it from his dad. Cause you know, his dad was a deacon at the black Baptist church. So they're like, Oh no, you know? So um, I, I, I agree with you, Charmonique. I think that that was a really timely point, especially since it was set in 1986. And that's about the time when that was happening. And everybody was like, what are these kids playing? They're all worshiping the devil and it's all of this craziness. So I, I think that that's an excellent observation. And yeah, that's exactly what was happening then. So, which just makes me laugh thinking about how we will demonize anything we don't understand. And that's where the Hawkins storyline kind of spirals out from there. There's more, there's two more deaths. We have Nancy's over there. So she's investigating, but let's like pivot to California for a second, because in California we have, uh, what's his name? Will and his brother, Jonathan, who's still dating Nancy, by the way. Oh, wait, I forgot. Still in Hawkins is Steve. And we just said her name and I forget it again. Robin. 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 They did get the job at the video store. Um, so they are still working there on season four when season four opens up in Hawkins. Again, like for right now, Robin and Steve are like the comic relief side characters, but just for continuity sake, that's who's in Hawkins. Yeah, they really did a uh job on Steve's character line. They took that man from the top to the bottom real quick. They were like, let us show you what depression looks like. Like, why did they do him like that? They, and then they had him, not only did they take him from being the coolest kid and then show his breakdown, like all his embarrassing highlights. But then, and then I thought it was so funny about the fight because I'm like, that's so true. This poor boy cannot win a fight. And then... Even with the girl, she, Robin, she tells him, I'm going back, but I just like think this is interesting because they did do a lot of character development, you know, which I do enjoy and find interesting. But Robin literally uh, on their um, approaching death, she tells him how he was a jerk to her in school. Then he tells her he likes her. And she's <laughs> like, I don't like you or anybody like you. Like... <laughs> Yes. And then season four, they really kind of let all of that hang out. Now Robin has a crush on a girl who is in a marching band, I believe. Like they went from Steve being like, what do you mean? To like giving her like dating tips. Like they have become BFFs in their car together. Like she's talking about the girl she likes. Again, with like clearly there's like been a jump in time when last we saw these characters um it's cool it's the first openly gay character on stranger things again though is still comic relief so poor steve 
I mean, like I remember season one, I was like, man, forget this kid. I can't stand him. He's the worst. And I'm like, we have to save Steve at all costs. I mean, like it is just such a roller coaster with that character. And even just watching him, like you said, he was like the coolest of the cool. And then all of season three, we just watch him in that stupid ass sailor outfit the whole time. Yes. And you can, you know, it was such a fall <laughs> from grace. He's not, he's not cool at school anymore. When after school, you see that he is the guy who graduated from high school and he is, you know, giving you, you know, your pecan praline ice cream with a, you know, a little sailor hat tilted to the side. Like there's, right. he's not, he's not, he's not going on dates with girls anymore. Like that is not that, that whole ship sailed for him. But, yeah. you know, I think he takes it in stride the way he kind of deals with that and kind of starts to reinvent who he is and what he stands for. I, I think that that's kind of an interesting lesson on, you know, being able to start over no matter where you are and no matter how far you fall you know, and that you can decide to be the good person. You can decide to do the right thing. There's no point where you can't be like, oh, it's too late to not be an asshole, you know? And he decided that. And I, I love Steve. I really, I love his character. Yeah. I love Steve too. I was glad that they, that they kind of, you know, steered him in a different direction as far as like what kind of character he was going to be. Cause at first he was like the kind of like a jerk, but then, like, um, the first season, he took it upon himself to go apologize to Jonathan after they had gotten to that fight. So that's, at that point, I feel like he definitely was redeemable um, as far as, you know, one of the likable characters. And then from there, I've, yeah, definitely uh, my love for Steve has grown a lot. Um, and I, I really do enjoy the dynamic between Steven and Robin because she definitely did turn him down. It was like, no, I, I don't like boys. So <laughs> that's not going to happen. So that, that was funny to see. And now to see him like kind of giving her advice and, and encouraging her to pursue her love life. And, and then now we, we wonder what's going to happen with Steve? Like who's, are they going to pair him up with someone or yeah. is him and Nancy going to get back together? Because, you know, during this season, I think, I don't know, is it the first episode that they kind of start kind of like they have these moments where they're just staring at each other or where yeah. we feel like. So there's a thing with Nancy and Jonathan, like when the when the season four opens up again, like half the crews in California. Right. So then we kind of like it's drawn out, especially when Nancy's talking to her newspaper buddy, the young gentleman with the glasses that unfortunately is like the second victim of this like mysterious death that's going around. But like you kind of get it from conversations that Nancy's having and then Jonathan's having with Will in California, like basically. Nancy wanted Jonathan to come home to Hawkins for spring break and vice versa and then it's like oh shit like Jonathan didn't get into the school to where she's at and but she doesn't know that so she's over there thinking like oh I guess he's just not that into me and at first she tries to be like I don't care and then it's like as she's talking more and more it's like actually I'm kind of pissed he didn't show up so I don't know how they get like the Robin and Steve cat group like together with Nancy and the kids but at some point the two tribes kind of converge together and then there's like this whole sexual tension with the eyes like you were saying Germany like the way Steve and Nancy are looking at each other 
Um, you're like, Nancy, what are you doing? Like, Jonathan, you you dumped him for Jonathan and now you're going back to, are you breaking Jonathan's heart? Like, what do you do? What did you think of that? I think that Nancy needs to get out more because I think that they are way too into her for her yeah. going back and forth. She's like right the only back. girl, apparently, in right. Hollywood, period, that the yeah. boys are allowed to date. Right. And then I think the other thing is that Jonathan... I mean, he demonstrated that he had some self-confidence, but I don't like Nancy for him at all. I feel like Nancy brings him down, which she does, because first of all, he got his behind whooped being with her in the first place, you know, and then the other thing is when, um, and every time he's with her, he gets his behind whooped. When they are running somewhere, he always got to be running. Every time they're together, he's always running out of breath then what was the oh yeah she got him fired at all because I feel like he is really trying to be a good dude and she just says like they have they're they're uh, trauma lovers you know what I mean like that's what they connect over and I don't think that that is always safe healthy productive or any of those things. And yeah, the more I think about it, Jonathan is always out of breath. He's always like, like, or scared whenever he's with Nancy. Like, that's just too much. At least the crew, the party, when they were together, they were having fun. When Elle was around with Mike, they be kissing all the time, like Hopper said. You know, like everybody else is having enjoyable experiences. He's always in a state of panic with her. And I just think that's so unfair. Nancy to me is kind of like, I, I think that she is trying to, you know, find out the truth and all of this and save society and blah, 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 blah. But I think she's kind of selfish in her interactions because even the idea of still, she expected them to just get, move along with all this drama, like nothing happened, you know? And I think that's just selfish. She's also, you know, young woman. We all go through those stages, but I think Jonathan could do better than <laughs> Nancy. I, I kind of like the back and forth and the trying to figure it out. I mean, you know, when you're young like that, or even as adults, you know, we, we date guys that we shouldn't date and then go back to them and, you know, not realize our full potential, you know, especially in those mm-hmm. small towns where like, this is it. You know, I know I've been guilty of dating people far longer than I should have, or, you know, it's wanting to hold on to something that just doesn't work. And I think that that is a growing up experience too. And that's all of what stranger things is, right. Even though it is this horror adventure type show, it is at the root of it. A, um, the, the technical term for it is called Bill's Dung Roman, but it's a coming of age story, right? Like coming of age in so many different ways in America. If you were a girl, if you were black, if you were gay, like how do you come of age in the eighties and figure out who you are and who you want to be and how you want to contribute to society. So I appreciate that they have Nancy kind of going through and like, well, is she, is she not what's happening with this? And, you know, these two boys who are fawning after her. And, you know, like you said, I mean, they all need to get out really. They all need to just not be in Hawkins. <laughs> you know, they need to go find something else. But I mean, there's also that fear of, you know, 
what happens when you've been with the same people your whole life, because it is a small town and, and go off and find new, find bigger, you know? So this whole being in California is also kind of part of that growing up tale that, okay, I, I'm not at home anymore. Now what? Now the, the world just got a lot bigger to me. How do I handle that? Will the Jonathan and Nancy saga end up in a similar fashion to the, say, Joyce and Hopper romance? Because they also went to high school together and like something happened and then they kind of went away. I don't know. I'm just thinking because Joyce is Jonathan's mother. But here's my thing with Jonathan. Like, I think I just feel sorry for him. I don't really think he's a good catch for anybody. Like, lest we forget season one, this dude's a creeper with a camera taking pictures of Nancy without her consent. Here she goes. For knowledge. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Now he's in California and he's not more fun smoking weed. He's the kind of person who smokes weed and it just flatlines the personality. <laughs> I didn't think he could get more boring, but now he's even more boring. Plus, doesn't he look like he's 40? Like the people that they cast for these quote unquote teenagers, <laughs> Jonathan looks like a creeper hanging out with a bunch of young kids. Like he's right, or like he did meth. Like the man <laughs> aged quickly. Looks like Michael Jackson post surgery. Like oh. that, <laughs> that kind of creeped me out when I'm watching. I'm like Michael Jackson. That's what I say to myself every time. And right. I do think all of the things that you said are concerning. He, he he definitely has that look like my mom like don't don't you be alone with him like you see him you you need to be with somebody else he that's bad news he, he's, he's, he's not that type if I were a kid I'd be like mm, no <laughs> you're the adult who's made a lot of bad choices no thank you <laughs> but he's kind of like set up to fail right because like Joyce's his mommy's an absentee problematic father um, socioeconomically, you know, they're in a lower situation. Um, mom has mental health issues. This is pre, you know, the other world coming around. Like, you know, so I think like Jonathan had to grow up quick and he just looks fucking depressed every time you see him. He never smiles. I know. I mean, but, shit. but why? Why would he? Nancy. I mean, if you think about it. I mean, right. The kid has been through, I mean, what is there to smile about? He's like, I grew up in this podunk little ass backwards town. Every time I'm with my girlfriend, I get my ass kicked. <laughs> you know, I, I look the way I do. My mom is absolutely ridiculous. My brother keeps getting abducted or possessed, you know, and he seems to be Martin. a gateway to the hell, you know, and I, I can't get into the college I want to get into. I, like he's had a lifetime of disappointment in like two years. Right. Right. Yeah, the list goes on and on and on. It's like, what what does he have to smile about right now? Actually, like, <laughs> it's not really much to smile about. Uh, but yeah, he Jonathan. Uh, yeah, I feel for him. And then it's just like, why? I with, I, I kind of hate it when, when they do this. It's like when they don't communicate, they could Nancy and him could have easily just had a conversation like I didn't get into the school. But for whatever reason, of course, for the show, they have to drag it on and who knows what's going to happen in season five. But I've definitely just, I don't know, like Jonathan and Nancy, I don't know if they're going to make it because Nancy and Steve, I just feel like with Steve, he's grown so much throughout the seasons. And yeah, maybe he was 
like a jerk or whatever, but I just feel like he has likable characteristics. I think he's definitely somebody that Nancy could possibly end up with. So I don't know. I think it's possible. The next relationship that Jonathan needs to be in is one with a a therapist and a life coach. That's what he needs to focus on, like getting his whole life together. Like he... He just needs to chill. He he doesn't need a girlfriend at all. He just needs to like, what am I doing with my life and how do I smile again? That's what he needs. So yeah, so Jonathan's teamed up with a like, like it looks like an extra from like the Scooby-Doo movie as his new friend in California. But Will and Eleven. Why are we just sitting here when she just said that what? about that person? What the Scooby Doo extra? Yes, I couldn't think of his name. Right, but he kind of like, like looks like he should be on Scooby Doo, right? With the van. Oh, what? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Scooby Doo, the, the cartoon when they they solve mysteries. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just a very interesting. Like if somebody was describing me like that, and they were like, "Yeah, she looked, she looked like she was in." Like she rides on the Scooby Doo van. I'd be like, what the hell does that mean? Like, what are you trying to say? Like, so we know what you're trying to say. It's a very, it's a very specific. Um, right. It's very I'm painting specific. a picture. Right. <laughs> yes. Very vivid imagery. But he's not in a Scooby Doo van. His van is like a Pizza Express. <laughs> and he's like Jonathan's new friend in California. <laughs> Rainy's laughing so hard. I don't know why. I'm just gonna keep going. <laughs> just, just, thinking, just you are painting a fantastic picture right now, and I'm just dying. I'm just... Yeah. Oh, and it's so California, right? Like the the stoner van and the pizza. Like how how much more stereotypical can you get? As a Californian, I it's hilarious. <laughs> Very typical surfs up dude type attitude. But I don't know. I like him. He's kind of I think he made it interesting, like because having them separated, you know, as the season go on, goes on, it's just like how like how is this season going to go with them, some of them being in California and then the others being in Hawkins. So I think he was a good addition um, to the to the, uh, the cast as far as, you know, the storyline in California. But, yeah, I like him. <laughs> That's a really good point. I did not enjoy like i think they could have been separated for like two episodes not like that's just me personally like i felt the same way when you said that it brought that up in my brain is like we could have combined these storylines like i miss all the gang being together and like yeah that guy definitely made it more tolerable and overall everything with like bright sun and sand I was like there's too much like we needed to be back in Hawkins you know like the whole side road trip to I guess it was Susie like I get it was just to me I was like mm-hmm. you know but I've been getting ahead of myself let's talk about Elle for a second so Elle's in California and she's going through something that she's never gone through before in her life she is in public school high school and she is being bullied sans powers. So she has to deal with this as not a supernatural superhero, but just as a regular teenager. And she is flailing. 
it's so hard to watch actually and then it's like then you see will he's always like looking at her like oh l like i can't do anything to help her and but he <laughs> I, I also love to seeing like their brother and sister relationship that they have now i think it's really cute but yeah it's hard to see l get bullied i mean i mean who likes bullies but yeah i mean she's so different so it's like I get why she's being picked on. I mean, I don't get it, but I just see, I understand like why she's so like separated amongst everyone because this is new for her. She's never been to school before. She's never really um, interacted with other people besides like the crew. So having to meet people at school and having to make friends, she's, you know, we get to see her struggle with that and it's, you know, you feel bad for her, so. But yeah, I really love Will and Elle's relationship, how they develop this brother and sister relationship. I think that's pretty cool because it's just to see like how it started, because we started out with just Mike and, and Elle really having that close relationship. And then just to see how they all develop and have this like close knit relationship. I really love that. And, you know, and especially with Will, we kind of get to see him struggling this season. So that's another topic or point that people are like, because we brought up the whole coming out thing with Robin. And so people are like speculating about Will as well. You know, what is he straight? Is he gay? And and we get to see like when Mike arrives in California, we get to see how it's like really awkward between them. I like the fact that Will and Eleven have developed this relationship, but you can see that it's it's like really weird for him and Mike also because it's like yeah Will and Eleven are close but then now it's like now me and Will and Mike we don't really know what's going on with their relationship so we get to see that as well right their relationship I feel like had been a little weird because um, Mike just started once you know he saw Eleven he was hooked so he just started having different interests and wanting to, you know, spread his time differently. I completely agree with you that it's continuing to be strange. And 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 Sinclair too, right? It was like Will or no, Mike and Sinclair were dating and then Dustin kind of and then Will, it was like strange, right? Because like Will was like the only one that still wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. Because they were kind of trying to find that that uh, that puberty, right? Again, that coming of age, right? Like we are these friends, and you know, Will is still very much in that, and Will lost a lot of time of right. maturing that the rest of them didn't lose while he was gone. He is dealing with a lot of things internally that the rest didn't. So they were able to kind of mature at a normal speed. And Will has been very stunted. And he, I think is, and he's a smart kid. I think he very much so realizes that he is not on the same level anymore, that his friends are bypassing him, you know? And I think that was something he always thought that they would start getting into relationships and whatever those relationships look like, that they would all kind of get there at the same time. And I think he's like, wait, this is happening too soon. But that's because he was, he missed out on so much of it. And he's feeling very left behind right now. And you, you can tell that he, you know, he feels kind of almost bitter about that and angry because so much of his childhood was stolen from him that he didn't get. And 
Yeah. You know, he's watching his best friend now has a girlfriend. Like you said, everybody else has these people in their lives. And, you know, his one constant has been this game, Dungeons and Dragons and playing with them. So when they start ditching him for girls and for all these other things, it it feels really personal to him because it is very personal to him. And, you know, you have to, we have to watch him kind of make his own way and kind of figure out who he's going to be because, you know, he's not really a part of this this quartet anymore, you know, they all have kind of spread out and they all have, you know, these very different relationships with people that aren't involved in that, you know, Dustin has really kind of gone off with Steve Harrington and they kind of have their own adventure, you know, and, and Lucas has his girlfriend and Max and, and, you know, these two girls, Max and L are together and Mike and L like, you know, they, they've all kind of fractured off into these different things and poor Will wasn't ready for it. He wasn't ready to, do that. And he doesn't know how to navigate anymore. You know, they, he lost his foundation, which were these group of friends, these, these three other boys. And, and you can see that it's making him kind of flounder. And, and again, on top of this, you know, really, really freaking traumatic stuff that has happened to him that no one else also understands what he's been through, except maybe 11 to a degree, but not to the same degree as he does it's really interesting to kind of watch. And I think, again, that kind of hails to that whole coming of age, you know, what happens when someone isn't maturing at the same rate, you know, someone goes through something really traumatic and they're watching their friends grow up in ways that they are not ready to grow up with, or they can't grow up with. And, you know, how do you, how do you reconcile that? How do you maintain a friendship when you guys are no longer on the same playing fields? That's true. That's true. Well, there was Jonathan again, looking creepy in that car. Remember when he's like watching Will and he sees Will crying and we get that classic (laughs) creepy Jonathan face. (laughs) But see, it was that moment for me when Will busts out the tears. I'm thinking, okay, he's gay. Cause like, I never even went there and appreciate you like expanding my like knowledge. Like I never thought, oh, he's, he was just stuck in another universe and has like a demon that's controlling him. That's why he's still in the Dungeons and Dragons. I just automatically was like, he's going in a different direction. Like, I understand what they're trying to say to us. Mm. But when he cried, because Will didn't, or Mike didn't write to him, and then Jonathan looks at him in the mirror, I was like, it's a wrap. He's gay. I guarantee you. I don't know, but maybe it's just like, <laughs> she's so Philadelphia Italian. It's right a wrap. The hands <laughs> and everything. She's like, let me tell you something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had to watch that whole thing play out and not interrupt. Like, let me. This is good. This is good content right here. <laughs> Hold on, Philadelphia. If you want to present certain regions and have like, okay, this is what you will encounter when you go to this area. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Philly is in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah. Go Charmin- Charmonique, weren't you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to continue on from what Liz was saying about him in the car. I think Jonathan knows, like, he he knows something is troubling Will, but he doesn't know how to maybe ask him about it. Like, he could, he could tell how the relationship or the lack of relationship with uh, Mike is impacting him, like, how it's been affecting him. And so I think he doesn't really know how to address it. So I think that's why he's been being really creepy 
um, <laughs> right. uh, spying on Will. And um, felt, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, have have any of you ever felt like that, like growing up and those relationships changing? I had a core group of friends. There are five of us. We all went to the same elementary school together. And I remember one of our friends, she went to a public school because we went to private schools and she was in, we were all in the sixth grade, but her sixth grade was middle school and we were still in elementary school. And, you know, she's like, oh, I'm not. And I remember feeling some type of way about that. And then another friend got a boyfriend. And I remember being devastated when I invited all of them over. Cause like probably once a month, we would all come over to my house or somebody's house and we'd watch Titanic. That was our thing. And we'd sing the Celine Dion song. And, and I was like, I love this. Let's keep doing this. And then they're like, you know, I have me and I'm going to go hang out at the mall with my boyfriend or, you know, I'm, I'm going to a party and I'm like, but, but Kate Winslet and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, and we have to, we have to say the whole lines together. Like when they're like, it's a three hour movie. We do not have three hours anymore. And I was just like, but what a, our friendship is ending, you know, and, yeah. and having to figure that out as, you know, all right, not everybody wants to do this. And, and what do I want to do? And how do I want to, you know, make different friends and, and, and go out, you know, cause it was that core group of us. And then they all started splitting off and finding these different things. And, you know, I kind of felt like the baby of the group, like what, what's going on. And I, I did have to kind of find my own thing and my own thing ended up being Harry Potter. So that didn't mature much, but (laughs) nice transition. Yeah. Right. I just, I just started wearing cloaks to school. So that was a whole other thing. You showed them. I did. Right. right? I'm like, aren't you guys mad? You're not doing this on Friday night. Right. (laughs) We could, we could be running around the neighborhood screaming Wingardium Leviosa, but you guys have to go and be with your boyfriend. So Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that wasn't a great example. <laughs> what about you, Charmini? Um, probably so. I mean, I, I think it also kind of applies to my adult life also, like just because I had a, a child at a really young age. So I think I really experienced it when, you know, that definitely changes everything for you. It changes the trajectory of your life and, you know, what you can do now, what you can't do. So, you know, other people may be going out and, you know, having more fun. And so I did experience that then. Um, Like my friend, my really good friend, she had left to go to college and I had to, you know, I I didn't get to like go off to a university and be in the dorm, you know, because I was a a young mother. So I remember experiencing it kind of like, back then in that way and then I would say also as an adult you know you just you just go your separate ways you know and it's kind of like it sucks because when you are friends with people for so long you think that that relationship is just going to last forever but sometimes people just you know you grow apart and it's you kind of got to learn that you some things are you know worth just letting go you can't always hold on to things um, so I would say, yeah, I have experienced that in childhood and also in adulthood as well. That is literally what I was thinking, like the adulthood aspect. That's so true. And for me during the pandemic, I really had to embrace that as a fact and not as like something, thinking of it as something that would be bad or harmful or not good for me, you know, but yeah, that is definitely 
like, I mean, you literally put it in the best way. You explained it so well, because I think that it's just so true and just being like, okay, things just change and you go apart and you just continue on. But that was also really what, um, really interesting what you were saying about having a child as a young mother and having that experience too. That was definitely a different perspective. I can only imagine. I know for me, I think I also, I would agree with you too, like had some experiences during childhood too, where I was like, like going to private school and um, changing from having the regular people, you know, the smaller environment, friends you're used to spending a lot of time with being together with to go into a larger environment. And then you're in a space where a lot of people, most people don't look like you. And it's like, you're in that awkward stage where you don't know how to really, you know, everybody's hitting puberty at the same time. Like, it's just a mess. It's literally a mess. And it was challenging because it's, it's weird to intermingle during that time. You're trying to find yourself. You just have become aware by puberty that like you actually care. What would you consider that? Like you, you, before that, your self-esteem was like at its peak. You were fine. You were minding your own business, enjoying playing with whatever you were playing with. And then all of a sudden you hit that time. And now you understand what it's like to second guess yourself. It's a very interesting time. And I do feel for Will. But like you said, I am glad that he has 11. When 11 was getting bullied, like to me, so people, I, because I, whenever I see kids like in whole school environments and everybody standing around, I'm like, y'all are just rude. Like every single one of y'all, because why would you let, especially something that petty, that always just troubles me. I just find it. Like bullying is weird to me. And you, you, you mentioned something, the whole school bullying. And I, I kind of agree. Like sometimes we watch it depicted on TV and I'm like, who is in this school where just everybody is just in on right. it and everybody's like, screw right. you. Like I just, even in high school, I went to a big high school and I'm like, I, somebody be like, are you okay? Like I, no one would just watch it. I, my very first day of public high school, I was a sophomore in high school and I was at the very top of the um, bleachers for a pep rally. And for some reason we had a, ma- a magician for the pep rally. I don't know. It was weird, but he was calling for hypnotists. And I was like, I want to, because I was super into school spirit and I didn't think that stuff was lame. I loved it. I, my ass fell down the entire flight of bleachers. No. Day one, brand new. High- I mean, oh. my body went hurtling past other people and to make it worse the magician is like oh my god are you okay so anybody who didn't see it was all looking what happened yeah (laughs) everybody's standing and watching me and I land sprawled at the bottom of the bleachers wow and you I should have been up, like, ta-da. Right. And like, I got up and that I was, was like, my joke. I was like, that can was I be trick. hypnotized? And the vice principal runs across the gymnasium. He's like, you have to go to the nurse. You might have a concussion. I was like, I went through all that and I don't even get to be hypnotized. He's like, no. But <laughs> even then, no one was like, oh, hey, fall down, girl. Like no one right. was like, hey, I saw you ate it. Are you okay? Did that hurt? Right. Like that wasn't a thing. I didn't get like bullied over. Like people were genuinely, genuinely concerned about me. Like it just, I just don't understand this. And I'm just wondering if it's just like people's like kind of, I mean, obviously bullying happens and, you know, not to make light of bullying, but I don't think it's like 
800 kids all in on bullying at once. It just doesn't, that and just seems a little disproportionate to me. If at a roller is, skating rink. <laughs> right. right. If it is. the song, like the DJ was in on it. Like, right. right. <laughs> like you're an adult. Right. <laughs> like you're going to bully this, this little girl too. Like, come on. Like, yeah, yeah, fuck her. I don't get paid enough. Right. <laughs> I need to make this interesting. This is a boring ass Saturday night. Like, right. And my thing is, if it is, then we have like serious societal ills in this community and in this town. And that's probably why the monster is only with y'all. Like, because that doesn't make any sense. Like, no. And going back to Rainy's fall. Now, if you were at my high school, you would, <laughs> we would have laughed, but we would have helped you up because you were always laughing. So, when things were always happening, but yes, I'm with you. Like, I think that some of that comes from our awareness of the fact that like, we have always expected people to take a joke, you know, and we've done that without any consideration of how they should feel about it, but they should be able to deal with it and laugh it off, you know? And that's the whole thing, like you were saying with Elle, it's Sam's powers. She's already gone through a ton of trauma. And now it's like, for example, not similar, but what I'm thinking, a little similar. Like if you, when they, if I was to declaw, declaw my cat now and she's like six and a half, it would just feel weird. Like you are literally missing something from your body. So it's a, it's a rough time for her to be experiencing that. But the people who are doing it are just weak. But it's also probably really good that she didn't have those powers or we'd end up with like an episode of Carrie. Like, I was going to say, that's what it felt like was like Carrie. Like, again, going back to like what you said earlier, Charmaine, like just this very 80s vibe. And like, that's what that whole. And again, also like, did we need it? But like, it was. You know, that's what happens. It's Again, classic season four, right? Like you want to bring the characters someplace else and like create stories from that. Speaking of which, spoiler alert, Hopper is not dead. He just happens to be in a Russian prison. And so Joyce- Might as well be. Might as well be dead. Good point, (laughs) good point, good point. But Joyce is chilling in California and gets this cryptic message, this Russian doll, and she breaks it open. And there's this message inside of it like kind of like code and it said something along the lines of like meet me at Enzo's and that when she read the word Enzo's she knew it was from Hopper because that was the restaurant that they were going to go on for their first date and again like this is why Jonathan's sad so Joyce just pieces out and grabs like an acquaintance Murray from like past seasons and goes to Russia. Like no wonder Jonathan's fucked up and Will's like a crybaby. Like, well, I'm, that's not nice. I mean, he's not a crybaby. I get it. he's puberty, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, so Joyce is in Russia the pretty much the rest of the freaking season. She and Murray again. Now we, we have like another comedic duo, kind of like Jonathan and Robin, but it's Joyce and Murray going on this thing, this big old grand adventure in Russia, trying to save Hopper. Also, split screen scenes of Hopper in the prison. I thought it was a little bit like dragged out. Like when 
that plain guy that was supposed to help them out double cross them. I was like, oh, hell no. Are you fucking serious? What, what now? Now we're starting over? Like, that was a bit trying. Like, even though I think Murray's funny and I love Joyce and Hopper, but I was like, it just felt like, I don't know. I'm not tuning in for Stranger Things, like, see Hopper in jail. Like, it was too much. And, like, again, it's like, let's bring them all back together. What do you think? Yeah, that, yeah. that was a lot. Like, you're just like, who? What regular citizen has has the ability to just, like, I'm going to go and break this person out of a Russian jail. Like CIA operatives in America can't just go do that. But Joyce can just with the power of pure determination and grit and moxie and spunk. She's of the white woman. Right. She's going to jump on a plane. And I'm glad you said it. (laughs) Over the mute button and I was like, be quiet. And then I moved my finger back. And then I hear you say, white woman. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the whole thing. I was like, mm, no, that's no, this is not who, how, how? And yeah, one of the things I think was great about is great about Stranger Things is that small town feel. So when we start branching out, it becomes this much bigger thing and it, it kind of loses a little bit of its appeal because, you know, we can all relate to you know, being after school and, and playing Dungeons and Dragons and, and these small town things. But I mean, I don't know many people who have broken into Russia. I can't relate to that storyline and trying to break someone out of a Russian prison. I mean, like, also, I can't relate to anybody who has dealt with a demagogue, too. <laughs> but like, like some of it, which now I'm realizing, I'm like, ah. That's where my, that's where I cannot suspend my disbelief anymore. It's the Russian prison, nothing else. Like the other world stuff I'm on board with, but totally believable. And you're like, wait a minute, Russian prison. I don't think so. Come on now. What is this? Yeah, no, I thought it was a little much. I thought it was trying to do too many things, but that's just me. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I could agree with that. And that's the thing that, that they're really good with. There's like, Because it's like this whole season, the group, the different groups, they weren't even communicating with each other. So they didn't even know what was going on over here, what was going on over there. They didn't even know Joyce was in Russia and saving Hopper. Like no one knew what what anybody was doing besides if you were there, then you knew. So that I really think that's interesting the way that they do it. And then obviously at some point they come together and then it's like, oh, well, we were doing this over here. Well, we were doing this over here. And so it was just like, it'd be a lot going on. But yeah, as far as like the Russian part, it was just like, like how, what are they going to do? Because at one point I thought Hopper broke his ankle. And then, so I'm like, how is he going to get around now? But then he was like, no, he can walk. He's, he's good. He's good to go. So it was just like, <laughs> it was just like a lot, like you were saying, but they, I mean, they made it work. They, they got Hopper, obviously. So they there is work. a love of these characters for the audience at this point, which mm-hmm. I wonder if like kind of saves them. Like, cause you just love to see what is going on with Hopper or what's going on with Joyce. Like, is that like maybe how I didn't, I'm complaining now, but like going through it, I was up till three in the morning watching these motherfuckers. Like, you know what I mean? Like they got me. I'm just saying, like, looking at it now, you're like, eh, do we really need four episodes of that? I think 
think it makes you feel better as an adult because you're just like, you know, as shitty as things are going, at least I'm not Joyce or Hopper. Like, I think I've got my shit together a little bit more <laughs> than these two adults that I'm watching on TV. So like, that's what I look at them as. I'm like, man, all the shit that they're going through and running around and Hopper's, you know, just season three when he just went and like extorted the, what was it? The mayor and like started, what was it? Was he breaking his fingers and or no, he's going to cigar, the cigar cutter. And I was just like, this is small town, Indiana. Like this is not like New York city mafia. Like what is happening? Hopper? Like you're at he like an alleged when you go to the under or the other world. Uh, apparently like he's like no holds bar i don't care where we are hawkins brooklyn it is what it is like like, hopper's just like ready to go to the 11 at all points he's just like no pun intended with 11 (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah like like another season four it's a bit of a stretch that happens in russia now we now apparently they have a shit ton of these monsters which they kind of drop again. It's like this season four, like we see it in so many TV shows, right? It's like they've done the start uh, story arc, but that was like another twist, right? Like now we're getting out. We, we were going to get you out, but uh, he's fighting a monster downstairs. And like, again, that could have been a whole standalone movie. Yeah, they definitely did drag that aspect of it out. And but and it's also confusing because it's like, how did all of those Demogorgons or whatever they're called get there? Yeah, that part I didn't, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit confused on that. <laughs> so, but yeah, Hopper and Joyce, they are like, I guess I know we've seen it coming. Well, actually, like after I watched all of the seasons over, it's like it happened really fast when you think about it, because she was just with um, dang, what's his name? The other guy, oh, Rudy, wow. the guy who plays Rudy wow. and the guy who yeah. plays uh, Samwise Gamgee. Oh, from Lord my of the Rings. God. Isn't it Bob or something? Bob. Bob. Yeah, Bob. Oh, my God. When he gets killed, I laughed out loud. Did not see that coming, right? We just no, saw the thing just like to take some. He's off screen. Come it was on. so much. I couldn't. I know I did not see it coming. Sometimes when I get nervous, I just laugh because I couldn't see it coming. I was like, oh, my God. Like that was like, like why did you stand there, dog? Like you literally <laughs> were standing there, like Joyce. I was like, do you know? Do you know this woman enough to do all this? This seems like a lot. That's true. This See, seems- that's what I'm talking about. When you date people with kids, I talk about that. Like you gotta know. You know, if you don't have kids like me, I'm not a parent. So I gotta know what my boundaries are, so we all can go to. We all have the same expectations because that was he really the risk his life. That he did not have to be involved in that. Yeah, from what? Like what? I mean, like it should not to be crude, but I mean, like what? Maybe they got to second base. Like you're gonna do all that for that? I can't stand you. <laughs> it's that Nancy, Please. Steve, and Jonathan thing again, right? It's like this is some high school sexual fulfillment for Bob. Like he was obsessed with Joyce in high school, and she party with like let's face it, more fun guys. And he was like jelly. And now he works a radio shack and he has a chance with her. That's like, terrible. I, that I'm going to be your was... knight in shining armor. Nope. Never. That was such a quick end. I mean, it was so the part fast. when they yes. dated it was just the part that Joyce was aware of. He's had a 20 year fictitious relationship with Joyce since he met her in high school. You know what I'm saying? Like that's why he died for her. 
because he's been like whacking it to it for her like for 20 <laughs> years. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just Joyce just joined the party recently. But Bob, he's been down for the cause since high school. It's true. And that's why I was saying before, like with Nancy and Jonathan, because Jonathan's going to end up in the same boat, you know, waiting for her for forever talking about she'll be back. And she and Steve are going to live in Hawkins forever, raise their little children. And then she'll be over there running back and forth between them. And Jonathan will be risking his life for a situation he's not really prepared for. Jonathan will be like a really like, he'll be the next guy working at Radio Shack. It's true. I was kind of annoyed with Nancy. I was like, really? Like you did all this shit and then you got Jonathan and then you're going to do him like this because he's in California. Like, I just like, I wasn't feeling Nancy. Like, I was like, what are you doing? I you told fuck, you're fucking with no these good. people's hearts. Nancy is no good. Yeah, I'm not, like not a fan. She, she uses them and then she gets rid of them. She's like, but no what was that season when Jonathan told her about herself? And basically, he's like, you are a spoiled white privileged bitch. You right. just got me fired. Like, do you pay your mortgage? Because your parents don't have their shit together? Well, I do. Like, that's like, to me, Nancy is just like. But she's our Nancy Drew. I get it. Yeah. Yo, that was so. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just agreeing. I was just going to. Because that was um in season three when that happened, when they got their relationship got a little rocky. So, yeah, I think at that point, they they probably realized "Hmm, maybe we jumped into this a little bit too fast. Yes, definitely. He told her that he should have stopped talking to like, I mean, you lost your job. That's pretty serious. And like he said, like he's carrying or at least has a different outlook than she is carrying or has, you know, and I think that Jonathan really is kind of like shorting himself by almost being with Nancy because it keeps him in that perspective. Like even when she was like, um, during that season when he was like, you were right or whatever. And she said, oh, I'm just, he was like, don't let it go to your head. And she said, I'm just getting used to the thought of what you always knowing I'm right or something like that. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't, I'm just not a fan of, her interactions with him because I think she kind of uses from the way she interacts with him she uses his what would that be an affinity for her because she had him driving her around real quick Mm -hmm. but you know at the same time in her defense though he allows it because he points it out he like Liz said he points out exactly what her issue is but then he just goes right back to it So, I mean, he is also teaching her how to treat him because if you're going to say, oh, you're this, that, and the other, but then you change nothing to make her change the behaviors, there are no consequences for her behaviors by acting like that. Then all you're doing is teaching her, okay, yeah, you can be pissed about it, but you're still going to come back. Right. And then you end up as a Bob, you know, one day getting, you know, snatched up in the middle of season one. And everyone's like, oh, we thought you'd be around a lot longer. (laughs) but like you know he's smart enough to know that and he can see the issues but he's letting that lust for her because you know i don't know if he really likes her as a person i mean do they like each other as people like what do they really have in common trauma right i mean but right but as we know from the movie speed with sandra bullock and keanu reeves at the very beginning or speed two i think relationships that are formed based off of traumatic events never work 
Yeah, it's traumatic as hell. It's toxic as hell. The whole thing is just like, you keep running into, sorry, anyways, I, I went there mentally. I was like, yeah, you're fighting every day. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like this. Right, right. Speaking no. of which, the ultimate trauma, the daddy-daughter trauma returns when Elle, so what, what are we up to our third plot line now? So Elle <laughs> goes on an adventure, um, Oh, what's this guy? His name's Paul Reiser. Owens, he's a doctor. He's a scientist. Yes, Owens. He shows up in California. Um, I think the stuff with Hawkins, the, the murders, something is like triggering where Al's like needs to go back and save the day. And Owens shows up and takes Elle to Nevada. They built a new deprivation chamber called Nina. But surprise, surprise, who's down in the undergrad? ground lab with him but papa papa that that relationship is kind of weird i don't really know if it's like is he a good guy or is he a bad guy i don't know i think he kind of is like treads the line of being like kind of like a villain but at the same time maybe l really needs him i mean and he's the one that's you know at this point helping her because the whole point of him taking her back is to help her get her powers so they're trying to help her get her powers back. And um, yeah, I think their relationship is it's a little weird. You know, Papa, is he like really the good guy in her life or is he like the bad guy in her life? Like, has he made her life better or has he made it worse? So I think that's this season. We kind of see a lot of their relationship and just like the history of it. We find out a lot of different things that we didn't know before. So yeah papa comes back i wasn't i wasn't expecting him to show up that was kind of surprising to me one of my questions is is who the hell is in charge of l like i mean she just gets tossed around from adult to adult to adult i mean she was enrolled at the school in hawkins hawkins and then she Joyce is allowed to just take her to California. And now she has this new kid. And then Joyce is like, I'm going to be in Russia. See ya. And then some dude comes and takes her to Nevada. Like who the hell is keeping track of this kid? Like she's off the grid. I I, apparently, but how off the grid can she be if she's enrolled in public high schools? Like you, you need a birth (laughs) certificate. (laughs) I'm like, just as a teacher, I'm just thinking like, my student just went missing for days and some random man can't like I would be calling CPS. I'd be like, I don't oh. think that existed back then. I just They're like they must have needed her for something. They must have went <laughs> the logistics of it. I was like, where the hell is the responsible adult here? Like somebody needs to keep track of these kids. Like when Elle had those powers, then Elle's on her own. If L, if you can throw me up against the wall, like even with when she was slamming the doors in the, what was that, the second season? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, like, you can't really control her. Even though she doesn't have powers, it's kind of like you already had powers, so you might kind of be on your own. They're just like, she's all right. <laughs> but Papa's whole point is to, like, help her bring her powers back, and most of, like, what that, like, four episodes worth of a storyline is like l going in the deprivation chamber and then again science bullshit papa puts in like a tape that he recorded i don't know how it works scientifically but he's like showing her her memories and then we're introduced so we're basically going on a flashback um to when l like just shows up at the prison slash like 
Papa's research center. And we meet, they call him like an assistant. They didn't really give me a title for what he was, but his name's Peter. And he's like seeming to be on Eleven's side and like seeming to be like her, like not her friend, but like has her back. And one night he has her back and it wasn't what Papa wanted for the science experiment. And Elle like sees Papa like torturing slash punishing Peter by like electrocuting his balls basically so it's like you feel for peter and you think he's like really going to like help l out and in fact he says he's going to do that and they um and then they're going to escape and like it's a prison here and da 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 and then it's like revealed that peter is number one because L is 11 and you're like, well, where, where was 10 through one? Well, we see everybody. We see 10, 9, 8, 7, all of them, but one. And nobody really thinks about it or whatever. I don't know. How did you feel? I did not see Peter as number one or as being Vecna. Like, I didn't see that shit at all coming. Yeah, me neither. Um, I think it was like they kind of it was like a, the legend of number one for a little bit. And then. We see this guy just like helping her. And I mean, at some point it was kind of like, what's up with this dude? Like, why is he trying to help her? Like, what, what, what is the reason behind this? And then when we find out that, you know, he's Vecna, I definitely wasn't expecting that twist. And then to find out that he was the one, because they show the scene where, because when they're going to doing the flashbacks, they show the scene where all of the, the kids are dead. And we're, we're thinking that L killed all those people. But then we find out that number one did it and he's Vecna. So that was like a really good aha moment for me. I didn't expect that. I didn't see it coming at all. And then if like you back it up a sec, because I think they say it in like either the last episode or second to last episode, something like that. It's like, oh shit, this entire four seasons has been peter slash number one slash vecna getting back at l pretty much for throwing him into the upside down world in the first place like like the monster was like because peter was like creepily obsessed with spiders and it was like it was his thing so you're like oh shit i think we have to talk about because we have to talk about victor victor krill (laughs) so we can't we have to like talk about that part too because He's like the person that the town believes killed his family. Well, it turns out that Victor Krill is Peter or no, actually his name is Henry. Henry's who is Vecna. P- uh, Victor Krill is Henry's father. And so we find out that Victor didn't kill his family. We find out that it was actually um, Henry who turns into Vecna. And then so they find out the way that Victor was able to stay alive was by listening to music. And then so they use that to help Max stay alive at that point, because there was a point where Vecna was still attacking Max and still trying to get her. And so they realized that, OK, we whenever she goes into the trance, all we have to do is play her favorite song. That way she'll be able to survive it. And then, you know, then that, of course, leads us to them at the end trying to defeat Vecna and they have this music 
just in case she goes into that trance. But then certain things happen. And <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's just it's, it's a lot going on. It's pretty wild and crazy. And just to find out that um, one what is Vecna and he's the cause of everything. It's just like, wow, I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> or like L because she pushed him into that world. That's what Vecna, because Vecna's not going to take ownership of his problems. He's going to blame it on someone else. And he's like, it's your fault, L, that I am who I am. Right. You blamed it all on her. And we get to see like just the amount of power that L really has, like the fact that she pushed Vecna into this world. And that's how, well, that's how he became Vecna because he was some, you know, he was one, he was Henry. And then she pushed him into the to the other world. And that's where he was able to find the, the mind flare and all that. And it's just like, wow. And then, so I guess it's like at this point where his goal is to turn the whole world into the upside down. So that's pretty scary. Like for them to have to be dealing with that. Did you think Max was going to die? I, I mean, I, yeah, because at that point when she was in the air and her limbs were breaking and everything in her eyes, it was just like, Oh, it's over for Max at this point. But they, you know, they saved her. So now she's in a coma and now we have to, in season five, we have to see like, okay, is she going to be in a coma the whole time? Like what's going to happen after, you know, at this point? Well, what happened when they were like, it was, I think it was like the last episode. And I think they're all up on a hill. Again, weird reunion. We have all the characters from Russia, from California. Everybody meets on this hill in Hawkins. But wasn't it something like, didn't, didn't somebody might've been out look up in the, in the sky or whatever it's like and like wasn't fact something happened and i thought that meant that max died in yeah. her dream because because once he gets that fourth body he's good right you don't you think she's still in the in in um i, I could be wrong you think she's still in the uh coma Mm, yeah I think because I was watching something and they said that um the Duffer brothers they said that Max being in the coma is going to be extremely relevant to season five Mm. so with them saying that it could be maybe she's stuck between the worlds or something uh yeah I don't know I but I feel like they didn't want to kill her off necessarily so they put her in the coma but the we're going to learn that her being in the coma is there's it's going to mean something because I mean you think about it's like well her eyes are taken out now so like what is like is she just gonna be handicapped like what are they yeah I I honestly don't know what they're gonna do with when she said to Lucas like I can't see like you have no idea I know that part was just so Mm -mm. oh my goodness (laughs) yeah that part I I think yeah I did cry on that part I'm not gonna even lie I cried easily I'm such a crybaby. Uh, but yeah, Max and Lucas, I'm glad that they had that. Because like you said before, the whole time she was giving him the cold shoulder. And so at the end um, or at that last episode, we finally get to see them kind of have that interaction. And they they make plans to go to the movies after all this happens or whatever, which I think is really cute. So and he's he's still by her side and 
um, being there for her. So I, I really, I'm rooting for Max and Lucas. I hope they somehow, after everything that happened to her, I hope they could still, um, you know, be together and, you know, work on their relationship. <laughs> it was a lot. And the last so two much. episodes were like, what did you think about them? They, I thought initially I was like, <clears throat> just like, kind of like there were good moments, like when Papa dies and uh, when Hopper and Joyce kiss finally. I thought a lot of it was just like super boring because the other seven was like so high paced. And then we had this break and then they released those two weeks afterwards and it just felt kind of like wah, wah. I don't know but I know I'm in the minority opinion of that yeah I get what you mean because it's like because the whole time since they're so separated you just don't know what what is going to happen so I can understand why you why you feel that way but yeah I think there are definitely some highlights like I, I really love Eddie Munson I really love his character when he has the whole scene when he's playing the guitar I love that part and I love Dustin and Eddie's relationship. I think I, I did. I cried when he died too. So, cause I kind of wanted him. I, I really love his character. I kind of wanted to see him go on to the other season, but they were, there were rumors that somebody was going to die. And I think I probably would rather him had died than anybody else. You know, like the main characters, I think that would have been really, really sad to see anybody else go. Yeah, I think that the last couple of episodes, because it's like, it's so much that they put into the show, like so much happens. And then the, when they finally draw everyone together, I think I, I really just love that the way that they do it. I love the way that they've written the show. So I'm really excited to see where they take it. I think that's the main thing for me is like, what's going to happen at this point? And the fact that there's going to be like a time jump. So who knows what is it going to be four years from now, two years from now, um, after this, um, after season four, it's just like, what are, like, what is going to happen? Like, what are they going to do? <laughs> the last, right? F- season five, it's it. They're going to finish and wrap up the story, right? Yes. Which mm-hmm. I appreciate. I really do. I like that they have a goal in mind and they're not just going to drag it out and start writing and getting ridiculous with it. Like I like a show that they know how they're going to end it before they start. And then they just stick right. with it. You didn't want them to be like, and in Candyland, according to ladder number four, exactly. You know, right. You're like, so how many board games are we going to get through? Like nobody, right. no like, not- the sorry pieces are actually <laughs> shoots and ladders. And right. now Mr. Monopoly is the villain this season. Like, you know, like that show, I used to love that show Supernatural, but I mean, 15 seasons, I mean, they hit the apocalypse in season six. Like what more could you say after the end of the world? (laughs) Like for an additional nine seasons, what else is there? (laughs) We're back. Yeah. And we keep coming back. Like we die and we come back and this person died. It just, and it just became too much. And I think it took away from what the show was. And I like that Stranger Things isn't doing that because I do think that you start losing the show when Mm -hmm. you don't have that end game in mind. And it's okay to not have a show that's 20 seasons long. It's okay to just have five seasons and just tell us, just tell us a good story because people will rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. Right. Yeah. Or you can come up with a new idea too. 
Because some people just try to sell the same idea. Like, this, we're just going to try maybe like the last Home Alone <laughs> that came out that was terrible. But um, <laughs> they need to put that up. Or that's a classic. Or that movie was that our kids watch uh, The Land Before Time. I think they're Land Before Time, like 32. I was like, will you just let the asteroid hit the dinosaurs and just be done with this? That's it's a movie time. I cried at. Well, the first one, they're like at yes. 15. It's ridiculous yes. now. It's just too much. So it's I like true. that Stranger Things is just like, this is it. We're going to end it here and, and then just be done. That's okay. Yeah. I think they did a good job transitioning each season too because they continue to keep you engaged and they really did like even with um season four how everyone matured it's like of course that's what we were all looking for especially once mike and l developed interest it was like oh what's this gonna look like you know (laughs) so i think they did a great job they've done a great job so far at transitioning each season um in the way it builds and i'm not i wouldn't say i got bored I honestly, at first, it was a little slow because you just, especially if you're not into sci-fi, I would say, because I think that part, like, because I'm not always a monster watcher. So for some people, I think if you give it a chance, you'll get into the actual storylines and really be able to see how interesting the um, different elements of the story are and the show. They keep you interested because just like you were saying, Charmonique, you were talking about how season four got a little more creepy. And I was thinking that because like all of a sudden I was like, let me turn this off. It's too late. Like <laughs> at first I was just watching it whenever, like whatever. And then I'm like, um, all right, I've had enough of Stranger Things. I don't need, and I did have some really weird dreams last night. So much so I texted somebody that was in my dream, but he wasn't creeped out by it. He was just like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, stranger things. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Charmonique, for coming by. And Doves, please be sure to check out Catch These Vibes. It comes out every Tuesday with a new episode where you'll be able to hear Charmonique discuss what last week was all about soul food the movie and before that how stella got her groove back bad boys are we in a 90s theme for this season Sherman? yes all 90s so next week i will be talking about jumanji so yeah (laughs) i love that movie it's so fun um and so i just yeah it's just all about the 90s i'll be doing 90s albums as well i think people you know, love the 90s and love yes. to reminisce about that that era. So and I think that's another reason why I love Stranger Things is because I think the 80s, they trickled into the 90s kind of. So it's then the 90s obviously recreated everything. And that's the way time, you know, goes on and it happens. But I think that's another reason why I like this show, because it's kind of reminds me of the 90s, kind of sort of, but not obviously it's the 80s. But I feel like it's made me in, appreciate the 80s even more, like the music and just the look and the feel of everything. So, yeah, I'm so happy that you guys invited me to talk about Stranger Things because, yeah. you know, this show is I really love this show. And I'm going to be sad that it's going to end after season five. But like you said, I definitely do appreciate when they make set a, a season that's going to end and leave it at that. 
so yeah, thank you so much for having me and shout out to all the doves and all the listeners and these ladies that um, are out here giving us all this information and inspiring us to advocate for one another. And so I appreciate you all and what you do and appreciate you for having me. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. This was so much fun. Yes. Until next time. 